All right, well, good morning, church. So we're finishing up John chapter 7 this morning. It's taking us three weeks to get through John. It's going to take us at least three weeks, if not more, to get through chapter 8. We're going to be focusing this morning, and rightly so, more, of course, on what Jesus says here and less on the crowd's reaction to everything. Uh, But, I mean, the reaction isn't much different than what we've been going over for the last few weeks. There's, uh, you know, it started with his brothers who mockingly were trying to get him to go up to the feast. Remember, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. This whole chapter revolves around the Feast of Tabernacles. So it started before the Feast of Tabernacles or at the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles when his brothers were mockingly trying to get him to go up. Go up and show yourself to the world. Show yourself off to everybody, right? And of course, Jesus was having none of that um, because they weren't sincere in what they were asking. It says that they didn't believe in Jesus, Right? So that's how come we know that they were mocking him. And they were just, they didn't, they didn't believe in who he was. They didn't believe um, in anything concerning him. So they were just trying to get him to go up and, and get accepted. Like, maybe we'll accept you if the world accepts you. You know, that'll be our gauge if you go and show off in front of everyone with miracles. Jesus is like, no, nope, I'm not going to go up just yet. It's not my time. But his brothers go on up to the feast. And Jesus, as it tells us, went up afterwards, but he didn't go up publicly, which means he didn't make a great big deal about it, right? He didn't go up on a, riding in on a horse or with horns or trumpets or anything like that. Here I am, everybody. Jesus has arrived, right? I mean, everyone was looking for him anyway at the feast. They all knew that they were all expecting him to come, uh, but people weren't looking for him for good reasons. Some were, but there were those who were looking to hurt him, those who were looking to arrest him and stuff like that. So he goes up privately. He goes up However, you know, under the cover of darkness or whatever he did. And then sometime in the middle of the feast, remember it's a seven-day feast. It's actually eight days. We'll get into that in just a second. It's a seven-day feast, and it says in the middle of the feast, so say the fourth day, Jesus shows up in the temple and starts teaching. And, of course, that caused all kinds of problems. Because what did Jesus say? He said, if it's anyone's will to do God's will, he will know whether my teaching, he said, you know, whether this teaching, the words that I'm speaking to you now, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether those words that I am saying are from God or whether I'm speaking just my own words that I made up. And there are those who knew exactly. There are those who believed. In the midst of all this that was going on, all this disputes. Because what it says there, when it says that they disputed, right? They were disputing about what he was saying, right? And in the midst of all that, some people came to believe in Jesus. And other people were saying, he's demon-possessed. And other people were there to arrest him. But nothing happened because they, they couldn't lay a hand on him. It wasn't his time yet. And so, of course, nothing happened. And he basically told them, he basically gave them a challenge saying, hey, if you want to know, if you want to believe in the words that I'm saying, if you want to know what I'm saying is true, all you have to do is believe in me. And if you do that, if it's your will to do God's will, because what was God's will that he already stated earlier in John? It was God's will for people to believe in Jesus. So now we're at the end of the feast. 
and this morning where we pick it up, we are picking it up on what they say is the last day of the feast or the great day as it's referred to. So now a few more days have elapsed and now what we're going to see We've had this disbelief with his brothers and we've had this disputes among the people on about the character and the words of Jesus and what is he saying and who is he. And now we're going to see division. We're going to see division among the people. They're going to be divided. And what's going to divide them? It's really simple. The words of Jesus. Right? That's all it takes. So let's read. We're going to start in verse 37. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Isn't that interesting? They're quoting scripture saying, wait a minute, doesn't the Messiah, isn't the scripture say the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem, not from Galilee? Which means they didn't bother to even look to see, you know, let's go look at the city records and see where Jesus was born. No, you, you must just come from Galilee. All those, all those tyrants come from Galilee, right? They didn't even go bother to look it up. They're quoting the correct scripture. Yeah, Jesus is from Bethlehem and he's from the line of David. Verse 43. So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, look who's here, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied to Nicodemus, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And then it ends with, They went each to his own house. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you speak this to our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit speak this to us and draw us, Lord, closer to you so we can see the truth of this word and how it applies to our lives. And I just thank you, Lord, for the power of your word and how it's applicable to us in the days that we live in now. So I thank you for this, Lord. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that says, Thirst was made for water, inquiry for truth. What's interesting about that quote is that we're dealing with both of those things right here with what Jesus is speaking. The people's thirst for water, not necessarily physical water, but spiritual. And at the same time, the people searching for the truth. Jesus is here to answer both of them. On this last day of the feast. And what Jesus says here 
right? We're gonna, this is what we'll be focusing on, his words, right? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What Jesus says here, these words are, it's a bold claim by Jesus, right? His words, as we already know from John chapter 4, are spirit and truth. And as he, you know, and so he says, listen, if you're thirsty, he's not talking physically thirsty, right? But he says, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And he says, if you believe in me, if you put your faith in me, then rivers of living water are going to flow from your heart. All right? Living water meant something to the Hebrew culture. I mean, just search the phrase and the idea of living water, specifically in Old Testament scriptures, right? The term living water is described to the Hebrew, to the Jews, right? It described pure uh, flowing water that had been untouched by human hands. You know, during this time, we talked about this. We'll get into this more in just a little second. But remember, the priests, every day of this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, the priest would take this supposedly golden pitcher, right? And he would go down to the Pool of Siloam, and he would fill the pitcher full of water. I don't know how big the pitcher was. I doubt it was small, right? (laughs) It might have even taken more than one priest to carry it. I don't know, right? He would fill this pitcher full of water. And then he would walk. It's a lot of steps. It's back up to the temple. I said, I said, they're restoring that right now. And you can't walk the whole way, but hopefully one day, maybe, you know, barring the rapture, you know, we might be able to go to Israel and walk those same steps. But they'd walk back up to the steps to the temple and then they would pour that water out on the altar. So they do that for every day of the feast. And they kind of considered that water in the Pool of Siloam, they kind of considered that living water because it came from a, a spring of some sort that uh, they considered pure. So, so they, this idea of living water, this refreshing and pure water, was a picture of God's encouragement. And they wanted God's encouragement. They wanted to be refreshed by God. So they were seeking this water, the living water. Just like the bread of life that came down from heaven. Right? They understood what that means. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, they understood what Jesus was saying. When Jesus says, come to me for living water, they understand what Jesus is saying because they understand what living water is. Right? So Israel was longing for the living waters. And ultimately, Israel is going to see this fulfilled in the millennial reign of Christ. Right? So in Zechariah 14, verses 7 through 9, there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be a light. And on that day, living waters will flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. And it shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Ultimately, it's going to be f- fulfilled for Israel. What they're searching for will be fulfilled for those who haven't accepted Christ, in the, the, the millennial reign of Christ when he comes and rules for a thousand years. So many Jews are longing for this living water, for the refreshment and the strength of God. Well, it's not just Jews, right? Many Samaritans as well. Remember the woman at the well. Jack in chapter 4, remember Jesus asked her for a drink and she said, how is it that you, a Jew, is asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? I mean, that was completely something you didn't do at that point, one, Jews and Samaritans really didn't get along. And then you had the man asking the woman for the drink, and she was a Samaritan woman, and all this taboo stuff going on. But if you remember Jesus' reply to her, he says, if you knew the gift of God, 
and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then he goes on to tell her, whoever drinks of that water, the living water, that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water doing what? Welling up to eternal life. It's nothing different than what Jesus is saying now as he stands on the steps of the temple. I have living water for you, and if you come and take this living water from me, this living water will not only refresh you, but now from you it will flow from your heart. Isn't this what you want? Don't you want this living water? And when it says flow from your heart, that's not actually what it says. Just so you know. Right? In the, in the Greek there. It literally means belly, which is how the King James Version translated it, or womb. Right? Or innermost being is how some people try to get the idea across about you know, where it's coming from. The Greek word is koilia, and it comes from the root koilos, and it means hollow. And some people think it's where we get the word colon, so you can just meditate on that for a while if you want to. But it's just flowing from your innermost being. And you get the idea. From within you will flow living water. Don't mind the door. It just opens and closes by itself back there. It's the building. It's not haunted. So this statement that Jesus said is a divisive statement. It immediately divided the crowd because there were those who believed in it and those who thought Jesus was crazy, those who accepted it and those who wanted to arrest him. Right? It was a divisive word. And we know that because it tells us in verse 43... Right? Some thought he was a prophet, some thought he was a messiah, some thought he was the Christ, others wanted to arrest him, it was divisive. And that's one of the things we forget about the word of God, and, and, and maybe you don't forget this, but the word of God divides. When you live on the word of God, when you speak forth the word of God, when your life right, is being directed by the word of God, the word of God divides. Division doesn't mean something bad, necessarily. We kind of think of division as a bad thing because division means a split or a gap or a a tear in something. But sometimes God needs to divide in your life. He needs to split you away from certain people or certain things or certain things that are going on. Sometimes he needs to. He needs to separate, right? Just like he's going to in, in the... And the, and the, and you know later in his reign, it's going to separate the lambs. What was the phrase off? The, I can't. Yeah, I, I mean, off the top of my head, I just forgot it as I was trying to say. But separation and division comes from the word of God. We know this. Hebrew four twelve. It tells us that the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The word of God is for so much, but one of the things that it does is it causes division. Because there's those who don't accept it, who don't live by it. And when you do, it causes division then between you and them. It may not be noticeable sometimes, but it's there. It may be completely noticeable. You know, I'm sorry, I don't do that. I don't live my life that way. I don't, you know, I don't support that. Because I live my life for Jesus. And sometimes people will be like, okay, no problem. And sometimes they're like, you're crazy. Right? Sometimes they'll start calling you names and stuff like that. So sometimes the division is completely noticeable. 
Well, it's div- so when Jesus makes this statement, it's, it, it draws a line. Jesus is drawing a line with this statement. This is partly why it's so divisive. Because when he says this, he's drawing a line. Because he's saying at this moment, listen, here's a line. And you need to be on one side or the other of it. There's no in-between. There's no gray area. You're either with me or you're against me. If you want the living waters, if you want eternal life, if you, your will is to do God's will, then you're to believe in me and you're on this side. But if you don't accept my word, then you're on the other side. So this is a dividing line because he's claiming there's only one way to God. There's only one way to these living waters. He's claiming to be God. And it immediately causes a division. Right? You either for me or against me, right? Matthew 12, 30. Right? Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever did not gather with me scatters. So what Jesus is saying, there's only one way to God. That way is through me. Accept it or reject it. Right? You want to be spiritually fulfilled? You want to quench your thirst? You want living water? Jesus says, I'm right here. I have it for you. I can give it to you. It comes through me. Right? Believe in me. Right? Believe in Jesus. You want the living water. And so Jesus says these words on the, the steps of the temple, on the last day of the feast, which could be the seventh day, or possibly the eighth day. Because there's eight days to a seven-day feast, which confuses people, but right? it's still true. So, because Leviticus 23, 36 says, for seven days, referring to the Feast of Tabernacles, for seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a solemn, uh, holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It's a solemn assembly. That's the eighth day. The eighth day is a solemn assembly. And according to Leviticus, you're supposed to start the the feast on uh, Sabbath and end the feast on the Sabbath. They're not, they don't necessarily follow that. To a T, because for example, this year it starts and ends on a Wednesday, right? But that was the idea back in Leviticus. So there's some debate whether or not the last day, the great day, is the seventh day or the eighth day. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter, okay? I'll get more into that here just in a second. But both days held and still do hold great importance to the Jews. Now they refer to the eighth day. That day that, according to Leviticus, is supposed to be a solemn assembly. If you take the word eighth day and you take the word assembly in the Hebrew, they were, that's called Shemini Atzeret. That's what it is in the Hebrew. And that, just for them, is the eighth day of assembly. And that's a day which they actually have many ceremonies and, and do things after the Feast of Tabernacles. Rejoice, as a matter of fact, um, about the work that the Lord is doing. Remember, the whole idea of the Feast of the Tabernacles is to remember when God tabernacled with them, when God put his tent with their tents when they were in the wilderness. And during that time, God led them by day, he led them by night, he provided manna, and he also provided water. Right? So as we said, each day of this feast, they would come up, they would draw water, they'd walk up to the steps, they'd pour it on the altar. But on the last day of the feast, whether that be the seventh day or the eighth day, Again, doesn't matter because some scholars believe that, that this ceremony of 
uh, of pouring the water, this water libation ceremony that they call it in the temple uh, that happens on the last day, which is slightly different than the rest of the days, because what they do on the last day is they walk around the altar seven times and they uh, sing Psalm, uh, what is it? I wrote it down somewhere. Psalm 118.25. Okay. Some people believe that that started on the eighth day. That that's so. It's, that's why you have this. These you know. Some scholars believe it in the seventh day. Some in the eighth day. Some believe that that ceremony started on the eighth day. So they would pour the water over the altar. There would be much rejoicing. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah twelve three, it says, "With joy we'll draw water from the wells of salvation." So there should be joy in this celebration. And there was joy in the Feast of Tabernacles. It was to be a joyous celebration because they're celebrating the faithfulness of God. There was a Jewish uh, Christian biblical scholar who lived in the late 1800s. And he said, think about it this way. He said, he said, the time of the Feast of Tabernacles is being celebrated. The high priests, they go down and they get the water from the Pool of Siloam. They walk back up the steps to the temple, knowing that they're going to pour that water out on the altar. And who's there on the temple steps when they come back up with the water? Jesus is. Right? And the people would gather. Matter of fact, they said sometimes there would be a rush to the point that it causes somewhat of a stampede. Because everyone wanted, on the last day specifically, on the great day, people, everyone wanted to see the, the final ceremony. So all the people would rush the, the temple. And who's standing there on the steps? Jesus is. Right? And they come up with the water. and going to pour out this living water. And it's going to flow down the temple steps. Right? And who's standing there? Jesus. I picture it. The water's being poured out. Right? And there's Jesus. And what does he say? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is quoting scripture. What scripture is, scripture is he quoting? No one knows. Okay? It's not a direct quote. It could be Joel 2.28. Why do I say that? Because Joel 2.28 says this, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And remember John added right here when Jesus is talking about it, John says, now this was about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus is actually talking about the spirit being poured out on believers. That's what he's talking about. But it hadn't happened yet. Because that happens when? After his death and resurrection and ascension. Happens on Pentecost, right? Acts chapter 2. It could be Isaiah 43, 19, which is said, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. You do not perceive it. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. It could be Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. It could be Jeremiah 2, 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountains of living water, and hewed out cisterns from themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In Jeremiah 2 and also in Jeremiah 17, God refers to himself as the living water, as the fountains of living water. So when they're talking about living water, they know it's a reference of, about God. So maybe Jesus is reminding them all of that, of all those things, because he's not quoting exactly. He's paraphrasing, in a sense, a verse or a conglomeration of verses that make, will help them understand. This is what scriptures say. There's many verses. We could, that could be a rabbit trail we could get stuck on for a while. 
So we'll come back from that. But here's another thing about the Feast of Tabernacles that you should remember, or you should know if you don't know. The Feast of Tabernacles takes place in the seventh month, which is now known as Tishri, meaning beginning. That's what it means. But yet it's not the beginning of the year for them. However, back before Babylonian captivity, their calendar was different. And you can read this in 1 Kings. Before the exile, the seventh month, which is now known as Tishri, was known as Ethanim. Had a different name. Ethanim comes from a root meaning steady and constant. And the word, and the whole month really, is a reference to steadily flowing, constantly flowing waters, waters that do not run dry. The whole month that they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles is a month that was originally named after constantly flowing waters. So it doesn't matter what day it was on. (laughs) Because if these people know their scriptures and these people know their history, they understand the significance of what's happening during the ceremony. This is something that they've celebrated. They named the month after this kind of celebration, right? Isaiah 58, 11 says, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Waters that never run dry. That's what the whole month is about. This seventh month. And throughout the year, specifically throughout the the summer, what the, the Jews would be doing was that they would be praying and giving thanks for dew when there was no rain. In other words, they're praying for and looking for water. And so they would be giving thanks for the slightest little amount of water that showed up. Look at the dew, right? Let's give thanks for the dew because, right? Because in a dry place like Israel, any little water was much appreciated. So it became a tradition to start praying for rain in earnest during the Feast of Tabernacles because water has the power of life and death. So when they weren't pouring water out on the altar, they were spending time praying for water. And this would be all the Jews that were there for the feast. It was part of the celebration. They were praying for rain in earnest. And like I said, so on this last day, this great day, they wouldn't just come up and pour the water on the altar. They would march around the altar seven times on this last day, and then they would pour the water out. But remember what I said, what they were doing that, they were chanting Psalm 118.25. Well, they do that. Well, what Psalm 118.25 say? It says, save us, we pray, O Lord, Oh Lord, we pray, give us success. That's what Psalm 118.25 says. What is that? It's a prayer for salvation. It's a prayer for salvation. They're chanting this prayer for salvation while they're pouring water out in the temple and praying for living water. And who's standing right there on the steps of the temple? Jesus. Right? So what happens on this great day when they were pouring out the water on the altar, 
right? Or even if it was a day after they had stopped pouring out water, but yet they were still praying for living water, praying for life, praying for salvation. What happened is Jesus came and he offered them salvation. Jesus came and offered them salvation. Do you want these living waters? Do you want to be saved? It's right here. Right? Jesus came and said, the water that he gives will not leave you thirsty again. Jesus came and said that the true living water that he gives will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus came and offered him salvation. That's the significance of what Jesus said. And you either accept his word for what he said or you reject his word for what he said, but yet he offered it. It was there. The gift of eternal life was right there standing in front of him. And this is why it's divisive. Because for many Jews, they thought they already had salvation and they didn't need Jesus. They earned it because of their DNA and their heritage. Right? They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew who he was claiming to be. They understood the significance. It was not lost on them. It reminded them of their time in the wilderness. It reminded them of a time of God's provision and faithfulness. It reminded them of a time when God led them by the day and by night and he provided food and manna from heaven and he also provided water. How did he provide water again? From a rock? Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, during the time of Moses, it says, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. They were thirsty. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Like Moses could just make water appear, right? What a crazy thought. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for for water, and the people grumbled against Moses. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So what did Moses do? Moses went to the Lord. So Moses cried to the Lord, and he said, What shall I do with this people? They are ready to stone me. I always love his conversations with God concerning the people of Israel. They go back and forth, right? Lord says, "Uh, Moses, your kids are uh, misbehaving down there. And then Moses is always like, what am I going to do with your people? And they always go back and forth, right? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And they actually named that place. I don't have, I don't have the name right in front of me here, but they named it after the grumbling and quarreling, which I always find humorous myself because they're naming it after a time when they were disobedient with the Lord and they're reminding themselves of their disobedience. This is where we grumbled and quarreled with the Lord, but yet he provided. I always think, you know, if husbands and wives name things in the house after their arguments, it would be really strange. Now, here's the interesting part about that. Is that when in in the Hebrew, when it says that Moses is to strike the rock, that word strike in the Hebrew means to kill. It means to bruise. It means to fatally wound. Now, you have to ask yourself a question. 
how do you kill a rock? Right? How do you bruise or fatally, you know, wound a rock? If it was just a physical rock, how do you kill it? But that's what that word means in the Hebrew. And some people will try to pass it off. Well, God just led Moses to a natural artesian well. Well, okay. But if he did, it was inside a rock, right? That had to be struck with the staff and split open for the water to come out. But how do you kill a physical rock? Listen, truthfully, this is what God did. God led Moses to Jesus. That's what God did. God led Moses to Jesus. How do we know that? Because Paul told us. It's in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. That would be the bread from heaven and the living water. For they drank from the spiritual rock, listen to this, that followed them. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Have you guys ever thought about this for a second? It says the rock followed them. Well, man, we have to leave the rock. The water's here. No, just get, get some extra water. It's okay. Next morning, the 300 miles away, they wake up. There's the rock. Wait, is that rock following us? The rock followed them. That's what it says. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. But here's the important part. And the rock was Christ. The rock was Jesus. God told Moses that he was going to stand before you on the rock. The rock is Christ. Christ who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. That was who they had to strike to get the living water. It was Jesus. The rock is Christ, and the living water only comes through Jesus. And so Jesus is standing on the temple steps and he's telling them that he has the living water that he can give them. Living water that will give them eternal life. Living water that only comes from him. Living water that will then also give them living water gushing forth from them so that they can do what with it? They can encourage and bless others with this living water as well. Jesus says, I have it. He's saying what? He's saying, I'm the rock. Right? He's reminding them of all of this. Listen, the living water is the Spirit of God. And you not only drink of this water and no longer thirst, but from with, within you now water flows. Right? In a good way. <laughs> so that you can bless a thirsty world, so that you can love your neighbor, so that you can be full of grace. You have this living water within you, gushing forth from you. Listen, there's a lot of reasons that we need the eternal satisfaction that only comes from the Spirit of God in our lives. But we can't forget this one thing. For those who were sharing the living water with, who were pointing to Christ, who were leading to Jesus, we can't forget this one thing, that this living water is only available to those who believe in Jesus. If someone wants that for themselves, like the lady at the well, remember? Tell me where it is. Right? It's only available to those who give their life to Jesus. 
Just like what we talked about last week about discernment and understanding the truth of God's word. You can only understand the truth of God's word if you're living a life in Jesus. Because it takes the spirit of God for that too. For that discernment, for that spiritual discernment. He says, only those whose will it is to do the will of God can understand the truth from a lie concerning my word. It takes Jesus. And so for those who have received the truth, for those who have repented of their sins and believed in the death and the resurrection of Christ, for those who believe that Jesus is God, they have the living water. They have the living water. So here's what you're going to take with you. Here's the truth. Every man is thirsty without Jesus. It's true. Every man is thirsty without Jesus. It's not a physical thirst. It's a spiritual thirst. There's a need. There's a quench. They can't quench the need. They're trying. They try every which way under the sun to figure out how to quench that thirst, and they can't do it because they're trying to do it without Jesus, and you can only quench that thirst with Jesus because the living water only comes from him. You only get it if you put your faith in him. So every man is thirsty without Jesus. And the other part of that that we need to understand is that mankind has a decision to make. That's what happened here, that division. It came down, that division was caused because everyone had a decision to make at that point, right? right? The crowd had a decision to make about Jesus. The officers who were sent to arrest Jesus had a decision to make. And what happened? They went back empty-handed to the high priests, right? And the high priests are like, where's Jesus? Why didn't you bring him in? I thought we were going to be throwing him in a cell. Right? And what did they say? They say, no one has ever spoke like this man. And what did the Pharisees say? Have you also been deceived? Right? The officers went to arrest Jesus and they listened to him talk about the living water and something inside them said, that's a true word. I don't know exactly what's going on here, but we can't take that man back. I have never heard anyone speak with this authority. I've never heard anyone say truth like this. We can't take him. We can't arrest him. It's, we're not supposed to do this. And they just went back empty-handed. They had a decision to make. At the end of the chapter, and some of your Bibles may have these little things in quotations because not all um, manuscripts include this. But at the end of the chapter, which is verse 53, which some people could say is the beginning of chapter 8 or is it the end of chapter 7? Doesn't matter. I, it's the end of chapter 7 as far as I'm concerned. But it's verse 53. It says, they went each to his own house. That's how it ended. After they were disputing and, and you know, having this division about Jesus and going back and forth, is he the, you know, he's the Messiah. No, he's demon-possessed. No, we should arrest him. No, you know, whatever. After all of this, after Jesus clearly gives him an offer for salvation, it says, every man went back to his own house. Because every man had a decision to make. Right? And then what they scatter, they go home. So some made a decision to follow Jesus, and some made a decision to reject Jesus. Right? All mankind has a decision to make. Joel chapter 3 says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Listen, we're living in a time now where there's a whole world in the valley of decision. And that world has a choice to make. Because there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. There's, hope is only found in, through one person, and that's Jesus. 
the life that Jesus gives us, that, that we find in Jesus, it's not just for today, it's, you know, it's for the days to come as well. Right? The hope that Jesus gives us is not just for today, but it's for tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Right? The life that we have in Jesus and the hope that we have in Jesus, guess what? They're eternal. They're eternal. Right? They're for this world and they're for the world to come. His joy and his hope and his peace are eternal. Revelation 7.17 says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's a future application for this as well. This is what people are looking for right here. They're looking for the rivers of living water. They want God to wipe away the tears from their eyes. They're living in a broken world. They're seeing death and destruction like they've never seen it before in their entire life. They're living under the fears of wars and rumors of wars and all the corruption and everything that's going on that we can see plainly with our own eyes. And they're like, where is hope? Where is salvation? They're pretty much like the priests who were praying Psalm 118, like, Lord, save us. They're crying out for salvation. And just like that, Jesus is standing right here. And he says, I'm right here. Salvation comes through me. So they have a decision to make. And when you're ministering to them, when you're speaking to them, when you're speaking truth to them, when you're loving on them, when you're refreshing them with living water, you don't realize how you can refresh someone with living water. It's not just having a Bible study with somebody. It's listening to people. Right? I, I, you know, I work my other job. I work in the back room. And there's another desk that sits next to me. And both of us who work in the online department, we don't always work on the same day, so that, the other desk is free many times. And you guys know Tom. He takes our pictures. Tom often comes back and sits at that desk and has a little, you know, quote-unquote therapy session with me, right? We'll talk about current events and what's going on, and he'll come back and sit for five or ten minutes or whatever. And everyone kind of gives Tom a bad time, like, Tom, get back to work, you know? And, and he'll be like, oh, i got to get back out before they want to fire me. I'm like, they're not going to fire you, Tom. Don't worry about it, right? But so they give him a bad time. Well, the other day, Tom only works a few days a week, but the other day, one of the other guys uh, from the floor comes in the back and he's like, he's like, yeah, I want to try this out. So he sits down in the chair, right? <laughs> yeah, I want to, I'm going to be like Tom. Well, it's, you know, that's all our things going. He just starts talking about normal everyday life stuff. We were talking about bifocals and glasses and, you know, all this weird stuff, you know, and I just listened to him. I just sat there and listened to him and let him talk about what was going on in his life and, and stuff like that. He wasn't there very long, five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. I don't know. Until he's like, well, I got to get back out on the floor. He gets up and he goes, wow, that was kind of refreshing. <laughs> he goes, can I do this again tomorrow? <laughs> I'm like, I'll send you a bill, right? And so you don't understand what it is for those who don't have Christ to sit down and talk to someone who does. Even when you're talking about just normal everyday things, they're being refreshed by the fountains of living waters, by the rivers of living waters that are coming from you. And they're leaving encouraged and blessed. And they don't even know why. They're like, whoa, can I come back and do this again? And you're like, yes, you can. Right? So we have those, we have that living water, that living water, which is not just for today, but for the days to come, it's eternal. It's exactly what everyone's looking for. It's the eternal life that everyone wants. 
and needs in days where they seriously need it and have to make a decision seriously, as long as it is today, make the decision, right? Don't be, what's his name from Popeye, right? Can I have that hamburger? I'll pay you later, right? However he goes. What's his name? I can't remember his name now. Yeah. Exactly. Don't be like that, right? Now is the time for that type of thing. And you can, and when you're ministering to people, and if it comes to that point of the conversation, well, I know where the hope is found. You can tell them, listen, you have a decision to make. And it'd be better that you make it today. Right? Tell them, don't go your own way. Don't forsake the living water. Right? Just follow Jesus. Don't stay thirsty when your thirst can be quenched. The thirst that you've been trying to quench with everything else that's not working. Don't stay thirsty when that thirst can be quenched in Jesus. There's a quote by Craig Lonsborough. It says this. It says, The landscape of the world is littered with holes dug by men in search of water for their souls. But it is the hole where the shovels were surrendered to God that marked the end of holes and the beginning of water. They want that living water, then they got to surrender to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word, and I pray, Lord, that you just continue to work this out in our hearts. But Lord, I pray that you can allow us to bless others and point people to Jesus. Be a light in the darkness. Point people to where the hope is found, where the living water is found. And bless them, encourage them, and help them, Lord. Know the truth, the truth of your word, the truth of who you are, truth of salvation, so that they can make the right decision, which is to follow you. We thank you for this, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.